Howdy, and welcome to your dog's best life. This is Leanne. So today, we're actually going to talk about dog training. Crazy, I know. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk today about kind of a saying in dog training, which is that it's only behavior. And a lot of times I, people might hear that, but may not really quite understand what it means. So I thought today I'd give some really good concrete examples that would help you out. So when we say it's only behavior, what we mean when we say that is human beings tend to add a lot of emotional texture and stories to behavior to explain it and or justify certain emotional responses to that behavior. And I think what's more important is that we always need to look for the motivating factors behind behavior. So I'm going to give you two examples that happened to me yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Anyway, yesterday I had a couple client dogs, uh, student dogs, and I almost got bitten by two of them. What happened was one came up for my face and the other one kind of nose punched me in the stomach. And the, and the reason I'm going to talk about these two dogs is because biting is a behavior that is very stressful for human beings, <laughs> obviously. No one wants to get bitten by a dog. And we like to put a lot of, of emotional texture over the idea that, quote unquote, my dog bites or that dog bit or I almost got bitten, that maybe it needs to be looked at in a little more depth. So the first case is a little border collie. And the picture is we're in the backyard where the border collie tends to become over aroused by stimuli in the environment and has a history of redirecting that frustration and emotional angst at his parents. In this case, what happened, I was in the backyard, we were working with him, and he, he became over-aroused and he came up at my face. I was bent over him and he launched himself and he jumped up and snapped. Now, was he aiming for my face? No, he was not. Was he, had, it, had he bit me, would it have sucked terribly? Yes. So the result would have been the same regardless of his intent. So the first thing to understand is a bite is a bite is a bite. The result is the same. It comes down to finding the motive. You know, we, we want to look at it like a crime detective. We, we know the behavior occurred, but what's more important is the way to find out why the behavior occurred is to, is to dig deeper and, and look at the motivating factors that caused that behavior to occur. So in this Border Collie's case, the motivating factors were that this dog has no idea what it should do with itself when it's in this heightened state of arousal. So let's talk a little bit about what that means and kind of put in a little more context that's not using big fancy words like over arousal. The best thing to describe, let's think of this. You take your kids, you have a little kid, and I'm going to say it's a little kid, like three, four years old. I'm not good at kid ages, but just that kind of age when they are excitable but haven't learned to kind of rein it in and, and learn how to take, deal with that excitement. And you take these kids to Disneyland, okay? So you're in the parking lot, and I'm picturing a little kid. I always picture little girls with, like, pigtails. And she's like over the top. She's like, this is the coolest thing. She likes Mickey and Minnie. She loves Disney. And she, this is the best day of her entire tiny little life. And she's berserk. She's screaming and she's running in circles and she won't hold your hand. And she's just maniacal. That is over arousal. 
Now, she's not biting. <laughs> I mean, I hope not. But that gives you a little bit of a picture. That emotional state is just so much that, that it, the little tiny body that is, is possessing that emotional state just doesn't know where to put it. So it takes it and flings it out into the environment. Okay, and the same thing happens to our dogs. Depending on our dog's breeding, and that does matter, when they get overexcited, they don't know what to do. So you get these breakout behaviors. The same behaviors that we see in little kids, you know, screaming, some kids might cry. Uh, you know, it, it, just emotion is hard, and emotion is hard when you're young and you're naive and you don't know how to handle the depth and breadth of an emotion that's overtaking you. So when we look at dogs, that emotional leakage can be seen as barking. That's a big one. Just bark, 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 bark. It's the same thing as the kids at Disneyland screaming and screaming and screaming and screaming. It's excitement or frustration or some huge emotion that that creature, whether it be human creature or dog creature, cannot contain and or does not have the tools yet to self-regulate and contain on their own. So with kids, right, you start teaching them. We don't blame them. Well, hopefully we don't blame them. We don't say that is a bad child because it's screaming at Disneyland. We say that is a child who has not yet learned how to appropriately contain that emotional stimuli and emotional overwhelm. And so we lean down over the little girl and we say, hey, I can't call her Fluffy, <laughs> probably an inappropriate name for a child. What do you name kids? Susie. Hey, Susie, maybe instead of screaming and running in circles, you can just hop up and down a little bit, okay? So we've taken a behavior that we don't find socially appropriate, screaming and running in circles, and we've given her an alternate behavior. We've said, why don't you just hop around up and down a little bit? Is hopping around, do we all adults, do we hop up and down? No, but it's a stepping stone towards the ideal behavior of just being a stoic Brit and, you know, enjoying life behind a facade of quiet calm. Dogs aren't humans. Uh, they're certainly not British. <laughs> and when we can't explain it to them. We cannot lean over that border collie and say to her, him, him, I, you're, I know you're overwhelmed. I know you don't know what to do, but here's, here's something else to do. So instead we use training. And the way we use training in those situations is we take any behavior that isn't the desired behavior and we reward the hell out of it. So again, same thing with the little girl. We don't ask the little girl who's running in circles at Disneyland to sit in a chair and read War and Peace. That's ridiculous. That is too big, a, that's too huge, that is unfair. We would never consider doing that. We would simply say, let's go from a 10 to a nine, and then from a nine to an eight. We would not ask from a 10 to a zero, but we humans, because we like to look at behavior in dogs differently for whatever reason, and assume that they know better, quote unquote, they know better. Well, no, they, why would they know better? How on earth would they know better? Your child doesn't, and that's a human being. So. We want to go from 10 to 0 or 10 to 1 in one giant leap. And then we blame the dog for failing to keep up. And rather than do that, I like to say, here's 10. 10 is the dog jumping up and down, biting me, biting the leash, just crazy. And me saying, 
any behavior that is not that behavior gets rewarded. Now, here's another caveat to that. Sometimes you cannot reward because the dog is so over the top, they really can't think. In which case, you're going to have to move the dog further away. In this case, once I kind of got a little bit in the dog's head, and we did, I did have to get a little snarky with the dog after it kind of popped at me. Um, I did a little leash correction on a, I think it was wearing a slip lead. So we did a little leash correction with a slip lead. I kind of growled at it ah, 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 and kind of ran it down a little bit and said, you don't get to snap at me. You don't get to lunch my face because of course this isn't a little kid running in circles where the worst thing they're going to do is trip and fall and hurt themselves or, you know, trip some other person. This is an animal whose teeth, if it had contacted my face, could have caused me irreparable damage. So in that position, in that situation, the dog had been under control prior and then had just escalated to that point kind of on her own or his own because of a stacking situation. So I knew the dog could think, I knew the dog was in a position to think and had simply kind of loosened its ability to control itself. So under those circumstances in that place, I felt a correction was appropriate. I got back in the dog's head and immediately went back to work finding, helping the dog find the right solution. So after our little kind of conversation about whether or not leaping up and biting is on the table, it is not we went back right back to work and the dog was more than happy to say yes please tell me what to do here i'm excited and i'm thrilled to death and i'm overwhelmed and you you i get in trouble for this because the behavior's been going on for a while and I, I i don't know what to do and once you start showing the dog through what we call differential reinforcement which is a very very fancy fancy word for saying you start with the abc's before you get to Macbeth. You don't ask your child to read Macbeth until they can read Cat in the Hat. And you don't ask your child to read Cat in the Hat until your child can do the alphabet. So at this point, our dog needs to learn the alphabet. It's unfair to start asking our dog to be reading. And that's what we, we try to do. And actually, several times the owner attempted to do that in the same situation when I handed the leash to them, they we're trying to ask for behaviors in that moment. You know, can, you, can you sit? Can you do this? And it was all about control. And I get it. The dog had a history of leaping up and biting and had actually injured one of the owners. So yes, they want to feel like they're in control, but you got to start with ABC. You cannot skip to the end. And there's a lot of emotional baggage. Your dog, this dog had bitten his owner. And the behavior is so wrapped up in that emotionality that sometimes we forget Let's go back to the basics. If a behavior, if, a, if biting is a behavior, behavior has a cause. The cause is the dog wants something, right? No one does behavior without seeking some solution to some problem, right? I don't get out of bed unless I, I have a reason and I don't do anything unless I have a reason. Same thing with animals. They're going to have a reason. Now it might take us time to suss out that reason, but we need to find the reason. So if we look at the bite, the dog attempting to bite me as a crime scene and say, okay, what's the motive for this dog's behavior? The motive was the dog is overwhelmed and doesn't know what to do. And because that situation in the past has led to uh, 
reprimands from the owner and stress, stressful interactions with the owner and the dog's own stress at not knowing how to handle the situation. It's a stressy, messy mess. And the dog is simply trying to get out of that emotional state and has no tools to do so. So the bite is simply another behavior. The dog was jumping, the dog was playing tug with the leash, the dog was flailing in circles. The, I don't remember if the dog barked, I don't, it might have. But all of those behaviors are simply pushing buttons. The dog is like, which button gets me out of this ugly feeling that I'm feeling right here, this stressy, over-aroused, not good feeling. And we have to be respectful of the fact that we have to look at why this behavior happened and take the emotionality out of it. Even though a bite or an attempted bite is a very, very, very emotional place for us to start. So that's where I'm kind of coming from is, is I'm using bites, but this could be any behavior. This could be jumping on strangers. What does your dog really want? One of the things that people like to train, and I'm not a big fan of this, is they'll train a sit for greeting. Right? I mean, the dog, the dog jumps on people, so the first thing is, well, let's replace that behavior with another behavior. Let's replace it with a sit. Here's a treat. Well, that's all fine and good, but the fact is that's not what the dog is seeking at that moment. The motive for the jumping up is not food, right? Unless the person's carrying a food dish, the motive is I want to be paid attention to. So if I... I'm acting in a manner that says, please pay attention to me, and you give me food instead, sure, I might do the behavior, but my needs aren't being met. And because my needs aren't being met, I'm probably going to keep going back to the old behavior to get the thing I want because I still haven't gotten the thing I want. So any behavior, we have to look back and say, what is this behavior achieving for the dog? Not as my perception of the behavior, what's my emotional overlayering of the behavior? Why does this behavior occur? And what is the dog seeking? And how can I help the dog get what it's seeking without it repeating a behavior that I don't want to see, such as snapping, such as jumping, such as barking, any of those behaviors. So let's move on to the second dog that almost bit me. The second dog that almost bit me yesterday was, and honestly, this is not, this is so rare. I almost never get attempted bit. And again, if you notice the first bite wasn't really a bite. It was a dog jumping up in the air and snapping. It, the dog wasn't aiming for me. The dog wasn't aggressing. He wasn't really aggressive. He was just frustrated and snapping and being silly. And if he'd accidentally caught me, he would have been probably as shocked and terrified as, as I would have been. So it wasn't a true motivated, I'm trying to build space or I don't like you type of a bite. It was simply snapping of the teeth and flailing of the body. And there could have been a connection there that would have been accidental. So the second one was a pit bull mix. Oh my God, not a biting pit bull. And she is the coolest dog ever. I love this dog. Anyway, we were playing tug at a park. I was demonstrating to her owner how to play tug with the dog. And I was demonstrating because uh, the owner was trying to do kind of a ritualized tug where you put give the dog the toy, you actually kind of place it in the dog's mouth, and then you go tug, 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 and the dog goes tug, 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 and you go back and forth like that. And I'm like, mm, that's, that's great, but let's, let's up our game a little bit and let's make it more motivational and let's make it more of a contest between you and the dog uh, where you're playing an actual game with winners and losers. 
because that is that is really a powerful place to start from when you're playing a game like Tug. And uh, I'm not going to get into depth for that. If you need any information on that, go to J-Jack, uh, his podcast, which is GRC Dog Sports. And or you can look up the videos by Ivan Balabanov. Uh, he has some amazing videos on how to play Tug, play tug with your dog. So anyway, I, I was demonstrating this for the, for the owner in a park setting and I had the tug and the dog, the dog, believe it or not, had a pretty crap grip on the tug toy. So I ripped it out of the dog's mouth because I'm trying to win. And the dog starts bouncing around because I'm playing like, ooh, you got to get it. Ooh, you got to get it. And the dog's bouncing around and the dog charges and leaps for me and connects with my stomach with her teeth. Now, the good news is she, this was again, this is not, this is not quote unquote aggression. She has an overbite. <laughs> so, so she really couldn't get me. And again, the intent was not so much damage as the intent was to get the toy. So let's visit this. I immediately stopped playing. So I took away the thing that she wanted and we kind of reset. And I'll talk a little bit more about how he handled it going forward, but let's go back. Cause before we find out how to handle it, we got to find out what caused it. Where does this problem stem from? Why did this dog playing tug suddenly bite me? Is it over arousal like the border collie we just talked about? What is the problem? So I stopped and I spoke to the, to my, to the owner and she said, oh yeah, she does that. I'm like, okay, well, news, that's good news. So I, I, we talked about it a little bit, and it turns out the dog simply was cheating. And I'm putting that in air quotes because I want to back up a little bit. We're going to keep backing up because I need to define what cheating is from our perspective, from the dog's perspective, and then understand how the dog really understood what was going on. So let's talk a little bit about cheating. Let's assume I give a little kid who doesn't know any rules a black and white soccer ball. Okay, they're on a field, they have a black and white soccer ball, I give it to them. I point at the other end of the field and I said, your job is to get this ball into that goal no matter what. That is your job. If you do that, you win. Okay, the kid wants to win. Winning is cool. There's a bunch of people between the kid and that goal. So the kid grabs the ball, puts it underneath her arm. And she punches and kicks and bites and pushes everybody down who gets in her way. And she gets to the end and she slams the ball down and says, goal, I win. And we go, um, you cheated. You know, that's, <laughs> that's not how soccer is played. Well, but she didn't cheat because we never explained the rules to her. We told her, we gave her a tool, the, the ball, and we told her the end goal, get it to the goal. And then we didn't explain any of the rules. So she, being a smart creature, solved the problem in the most efficient way she could. And that may have involved pushing down people in her way, right? I mean, they're in her way. Get out of my way. I'm, this is my goal. I'm, I'm heading to the end of the field. Uh, maybe, she, maybe her little brother reached for her with his arm and she bit him. <laughs> little brothers deserve that, let's be honest. Uh, she, she had a goal in mind. She's not unethical. She's not a bad person. We failed to adequately explain the rules. Well, you don't run with the soccer ball, you kick it. Uh, you don't get to shove people to the ground because they're in your way. I mean, I don't watch a lot of soccer. I think they do a little bit of that, but I don't think it's like random. It's not football, it's not rugby. So we have to know the rules for the game. So in the case of tug, the rules of the game are defined when you go in. 
And I have rules for Tug and other people have other rules for Tug. And one of my rules for Tug, obviously, is if I am having the toy and you don't have the toy, there are methods by which you may re re regain access to the toy, but jumping and biting at me personally is not, not, not part of the rule structure. This dog had no idea. No one had told the dog, this is part of our rule structure. They had simply said to the dog, your job is to get the tug. That's where the fun happens. And I'm going to take the tug away because that's where my fun happens. And we're at war for the tug. And the dog learned, well, you know how I can get that tug back really fast? I can kind of punch you with my face. I can come at you with an open mouth. I can assault you personally. And those are all fraught words. Oh, assault and personally. That doesn't mean anything to the dog. The dog's playing a game. And the dog just won because we didn't explain the rules to the dog. So the dog's cheating in that the dog is going for the goal without rules in place. So all we had to do is go back, explain the rules to the dog. And we did it very simply. If the dog came after me, the game ends. Uh, the owner had the leash, and so I would simply step outside the range of the leash until the dog settled. I'd show the dog a clear picture of how to get the tug toy, and I would give the dog that picture, and the dog did it correctly. The dog got to play tug. If the dog made another choice, I simply stepped back enough that the dog was out of range from me, we let the dog settle and we did it again. So it was very simple. The game can continue as long as the rules are adhered to. But to say that the dog did wrong is not appropriate because the dog didn't know the rules. So yeah, I mean, a big powerful pit, little pit bull could do a lot of damage just playing tug if we don't fully explain the rules and that is a quote-unquote bite and now we're a quote-unquote bad dog or vicious dog but that's none of that was in play with this dog this dog is super sweet the dog was super excited by this game that no one had explained the rules to the game uh, the other rule i'm a big advocate of is if we're playing tug you do not get to re-grip well a if they try to re-grip i rip the toy out of their hands out of their mouth because that's a weak point in their grip. And I'll, I'll go back on that. Don't worry about it. I'm not, don't worry. I will come back to that. Uh, but if they do regrip, they cannot regrip closer to my hand. Um, there are dogs who've learned, and maybe you know a dog like this, they've learned that if they keep coming up closer and closer to the hand on the other end of the tug, that they will eventually get the tug. That's not cheating if we never explain the rules. So let's talk a little bit about what a regrip is. So if your dog has the toy and they have a, a an okay grip, but they want a better grip, then they will briefly let go and re-grab the toy. And that's common in a lot of the breeds, and, and most people aren't working for bite work or anything like that, so it doesn't matter uh, if the dog re-grips. It's a big deal, I think, for, for bite work dogs like Malinois and the dogs who are doing bite sports. If you're not doing that, it, it, it really doesn't matter, except if you've got a dog who's gonna be careless with their re-grip and possibly nail you in the hand. Uh, when, much, when I was much, much younger, I had a puppy and we were playing tug in the backyard, probably with a very inappropriate toy. I mean, I, I was very, this was a very long time ago. And she, little bitty puppy, so needle teeth, she re-gripped on my hand. Well, because she's, she's playing tug, <laughs> she's got my hand and she's pulling. And thankfully, you know, this isn't, she wasn't a Malinois, she's a little mixed breed thing. I gave her my hand 
And I think at the same time she realized the hand was the wrong texture, understood the smell and like let go. But I had some pretty good staple marks from her, from her little fangs, uh, little sharp puppy teeth. So neither dog is a quote unquote biter, but the end result had they connected would have been a bite and a bite is fraught with emotional baggage. We have to always go back to the motive. Why is the dog making this choice in this circumstance? And how do we help the dog either understand the rules or help them learn how to behave in this situation and take the emotionality, the bad dog, this is a bad behavior out of it and just look at behavior, not in a vacuum because a behavior in a vacuum that that's not, a, that's not enough. You need to find the behavior and what caused the behavior in the first place. But that linkage, outside of that, we don't wanna attach any, any meaning to behavior outside of that two-piece picture. What does the dog want? How does this behavior get him what he wants? Once we have that, uh, the dog wants A and the dog's behavior is B and the consequences C. We got the ABCs going. Then we can start inserting things in there to help the dog understand, well, in this circumstance, biting is probably not the answer. Let me show you the answer. Let me walk you through the answer. Let me educate you on how best to, to deal with the answer. Now, with these two pictures, the answers were different. They were vastly different. Even the behavior snapping at you were identical. I'm working with a third dog who will snap at you under certain circumstances and her behavior is very much defensive. It is very much human focused. It is very much, I am building space and I am using my teeth and my body expression to tell you to get the hell out of my personal space. That is a completely different set of motivators. It is the same behavior. It is the same behavior. It is still biting. And but, so we have to come at it from a completely different place. This behavior, again, it's, it's not comfortable. Uh, the dog has a bite history and the, bite, the dog has bitten several people, several of our owners, and that's a problem. She's put teeth on me. That's a problem. And so we go back and we help the dog say, okay, can we become okay with people under these circumstances? How do we keep people safe while we're working through this? How do we keep you safe from the perceived threat of people? How do we teach you that if you feel threatened, there are other options? There's a lot in there that we have to unpack, but none of that can be unpacked if we come at it from an emotional place where do dogs who bite are bad because then our only recourse is punishment. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not the person who's gonna say that punishment is always bad. I'm, I do believe there are moments and times when a little bit of a punisher can help the dog understand a picture. Like I said, with that little border collie, we did use a little bit of an aversive to say, uh-uh, you cannot use this tool in this place to achieve your ends. And it was a safety issue. With a dog who's trying to defend themselves from a human being, if you add a punisher in that moment, you're very likely to end up with a dog who's even more worried, more defensive, more upset by what's going on in their environment.
Does that mean I'd never layer a little bit of an aversive and uh-uh, a little bit of a growl at them, a little bit of a heart stare at them at th some point? No, absolutely not. I will certainly do that if it's warranted and I feel the dog is in a mental place where they can tolerate it and it's educational for them and it teaches them a better understanding of what is and is not wanted. Because I want to cl create clear brackets for my dogs. This is allowed and this is not. And I feel that, and I, I, this has been a change over the last year in my own education as a dog trainer from a mostly positive mindset to a mindset a little more willing to use the mi a minor aversive, like a little bit of an ah, a little bit of a growl, a little bit of a social pressure to tell the dog that they've made a mistake and they're going in the wrong direction. And I do that because I feel like for a lot of dogs, teaching them red light, green light by only showing them the green light isn't as helpful as showing them red light, green light with a red light <laughs> available too. But uh, that's probably a conversation for a different day. But I just, again, this is about understanding behavior because a lot of times when you're dealing with behaviors you don't like, we layer so much emotionality into it, so much baggage that the behavior then has to carry that we kind of forget that the behavior has a purpose. And if we just find the purpose and we find a way to solve that purpose, we can get around the behavior and help the dog find the right place to go and find the right solutions under the circumstances. We can also look at this from the opposite end, when a dog doesn't do something we want it to do. So let's say that you've trained a dog to say sit. We're gonna use a very simple behavior. And therefore the motivating factor is probably, if you've used rewards, then the motivating factor is the treat in your hand or the treat that they have accessible to them. And oftentimes what we'll see is situations where we'll have pet parents say, well, my dog doesn't do X unless I have food on me, or my dog doesn't listen to me. That's a good one. My dog doesn't listen to me. And we have to go back. What's the motivating factor? Why would your dog listen to you? Under what circumstances would your dog listen to you? What does your dog gain from listening to you? What do they lose by listening to you? A perfect example is recall, calling your dog out of an environment. Okay, let's say your dog is out playing at the dog park. The perfect example. So your dog is having the best time of their life. They're with their buddies. They're bouncing around. It's awesome. They're having so much fun. And you say, Fluffy, here. And the dog looks at you and carries on. You're like, oh, my dog doesn't listen. My dog is a bad dog. Well, first we have to go back. And what do we do? We say, it's just behavior. It is only behavior. There's no motivating. The dog's not ignoring you, which is a purposeful act that humans do to other humans, right? It is a chosen behavior based on the dog's understanding of a reward and consequence. What is the dog's reward for paying attention to you? Well, probably the reward is, and I'm putting that in air quotes, being put on a leash and being taken away from their friends. That's not terribly rewarding. What is the reward for quote unquote ignoring you, carrying on and playing with their friends? That's pretty, that's pretty rewarding. So your dog's not ignoring you. Your dog is making a choice based on a learned history of rewards. And that's why when people say, when, we, when trainers say to you, we need a long reward history and you're like, oh, but I told him 10 times and I gave him 10 treats. That's not a reward history. That's the beginning. That's training. 
The reward history has to be incredibly deep and incredibly long and incredibly valuable for that dog to make the choice to leave its friends to come to you to be put on a leash and taken home. And I'm not going to get into the depth of recall training because there's so much to it, but just understand that that choice that that dog made is based on the consequences that you have given the dog in the past that have told the dog that the best choice for that dog in that moment is to totally blow you off because why would they listen? So behavior goes both ways. It's both behaviors we don't want to see that we see and behaviors we prefer to see and we just don't see. And instead of adding emotional baggage, my dog is ignoring me, my dog is willful, my dog is stubborn, look at it as I have not created the right picture to help the dog understand what they need to do in these circumstances. I have not built a long enough learning history to help the dog understand that here, when I say X, you do Y or what have you. Help your dog by divorcing yourself from the emotionality, look at the behavior, look at the rewards and help your dog out. Make the dog's life easier. Make those choices easy for the dog to make in those circumstances. Okay. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed my foray back into podcasting. Uh, have a fantastic day. I think this will come out right before Christmas. So Merry Christmas for those of you who celebrate it. And I hope everybody has a safe new year. If I don't get to you guys before then, have a wonderful holiday season. And we will look forward to seeing you in 2022. Happy training, like, rate, review, and share our podcast if you like it. Thanks. Bye.